uh, the fifth part of our series, zeroing in on the Beatitudes, these amazing words that um, we read from Jesus recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. This morning, our focus is Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, where Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. As with all of these Beatitudes, the key question to sort of ask is, what does this mean? What does it mean to be merciful? Who am I meant to be merciful towards? What does it mean that I will be shown mercy? When we're engaging with Scripture and seeking to hear from God, it's great to ask questions of the text. Never be afraid to ask questions when you're reading the Bible. Questions are good And they're a way that we begin to investigate and explore and find the Holy Spirit speaks to us. As I was thinking about this beatitude over the past couple of weeks, I was thinking, okay, before even considering what it does mean, what does it not mean? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Whatever it means, surely it cannot mean that you have to show mercy to others before God will show you mercy. Right? Because if we think that that's what it means, we've then got to kind of kick into gear with a bit of an investigative process and go, well, would that conclusion line up with the consistent message of the rest of the Bible? That's a scriptural uh, interpretation process that Ross Anderson taught me many moons ago called Scripture Interprets Scripture. Whatever a given passage of Scripture means, it cannot contradict what the clear meaning of the whole story of Scripture actually means. So if blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy, if we thought that it meant I've got to be a merciful person before God will ever show me mercy, we've got to ask the question, is that consistent with what the rest of Scripture says to us? And clearly it doesn't. Because we know again that there is nothing that we can do to earn God's love or mercy. Our good behavior doesn't qualify us to receive anything from God Because God does not pour out blessing. He does not give the gift of salvation on the basis of works, but of faith. So whatever this means, it cannot mean you've got to be a merciful person before God will have mercy on you. But again, what does it mean then? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It suggests that those who are merciful, blessed are the merciful. That's, that's kind of present continuous tense, for they will be shown mercy. There's this present element and there's kind of a future element to what's been talked about there. So those who are merciful towards people, how are they already blessed? In our English translations of the Bible, it kind of reads as if we are blessed when we are merciful now because that means that we can have an assurance of being shown mercy in the future. But again, we need to be careful going down that path that we don't deviate into some sort of works-based mentality. So in what sense are we already blessed when we extend mercy to others? And my key point this morning is this, really. The practice of extending mercy to other people as a follower of Jesus, is a clear indicator that a person has already received mercy from God and been restored to a right relationship with him. 
It's the very fact of being restored to our relationship with God in in the vertical sense of the work of the cross, if you like, that enables us to extend mercy to other people, that horizontal kind of sense of how we live our lives. See, it's not that God calls us to be merciful to other people and if we've got to our quota, that then he will extend mercy to us. He says, no, no, when you have received mercy from God, that actually enables and empowers us and transforms us in the way that we interact with other people. Our relationship with God is restored and what flows from that is our ability to relate rightly to one another and to anyone who may come across our path. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. However, as we explore this beatitude, there is a very important sense of of challenge in this idea of mercy. And mercy in Matthew's gospel often is interchangeable with forgiveness. They're very closely connected ideas in Matthew's gospel. And what Jesus is recorded as saying in Matthew's gospel is that our ability to extend mercy to others depends, yes, on having first received and experienced God's mercy and forgiveness for ourselves. That's cast iron, locked in. But the flip side of it is that if we refuse to offer mercy and forgiveness to other people, it suggests that we have not truly experienced God's mercy or forgiveness for ourselves first. Oh, that's challenging. And, and, and let's be real. We can talk about concepts like mercy and forgiveness at just an abstract level, and we can all go, yeah, I, we all agree that those are nice ways to live your life. It's nice to be a merciful person. It's good to forgive. Life is really nasty at times, and people can be nasty at times. And we are people, and we can be nasty at times. Let's not just talk about other people and deflect it all away, right, from ourselves. Life is messy. We as people are all messy. And so what that means is that we can find many situations where we can agree to the concept of mercy and forgiveness, yet we can find it incredibly challenging to actually be merciful towards others and to extend forgiveness to others, especially when their actions or their words have hurt us and impacted our lives. So Jesus is really practical, right, in what he talks about here. Let me pull in here another pretty well-known parable of Jesus from Matthew's gospel, same one as the Beatitudes. This is the parable of the unmerciful servant, is how it's known. And Jesus said these words, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. He could, incidentally, he could and probably never would pay back that sum. But he's desperate here. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. 
But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, pitifully small amount in comparison. He grabbed him, began to choke him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Oh, that's pretty intense, isn't it? These are the words of Jesus. Our ability... To extend mercy and forgiveness to others depends on first having received and experienced God's mercy and forgiveness for ourselves. Conversely, if we refuse to offer mercy and forgiveness to others, it suggests that we have not truly experienced God's mercy and forgiveness for ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that every time we don't feel like being merciful or forgiving, we've got to question our salvation. It's not about that. None of us are perfect. It's a work, we're a work in progress. We're all human beings. And when we are in these situations that require mercy and especially forgiveness towards others who have hurt us, those are incredibly challenging situations. But scripture is pretty clear that to consistently and stubbornly refuse to even consider extending mercy or forgiveness to others calls into question our claim to even know God at all. Wow, that's sobering. See, God has been incredibly merciful to us. In the parable that Jesus painted, the idea is that the king is God and we are all in that position of owing God. We are in debt because of our sin, because of our failure to acknowledge God, because of our failure to even seek him or seek to walk in his ways. We're all in that position. And and the beauty of the gospel is that despite the immensity of our debt, God has not required us to pay that back ourselves, that he has taken it upon himself, not just to sweep the debt under the carpet. Oh, forget about it, I love you. Let's just call it, you know, Back to square one. See, see, God is just and merciful. And the power of the gospel is that in God giving his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross on our behalf, to take upon himself the punishment that he didn't deserve, we deserved it because of the debt of our sin. In that incredible act At the same time, both the justice and the mercy of God are satisfied. It was not God acting in love or in mercy, kind of just, I'll put my justice on hold for a second and just be nice God today. 
No, no, God can't do that. Clearly, he cannot act in a way that compromises his very nature. So when Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, took upon himself the penalty and the punishment that was ours, the justice of God was satisfied. And simultaneously, the love of God for us and for every single human being Despite our sin, despite this debt, the love of God was what motivated the rescue package in the first place. God has been incredibly merciful to us. The more that I walk with Jesus, the more I come to appreciate the immensity of his sacrifice on our behalf. It's one thing to go, oh yeah, Jesus died from a sin. And we can kind of belittle that and go, oh, it wasn't that much of a big deal. No, no, no. There, there was never going to be a way that we could ever make up for our mistakes and get right with God. If God had not taken it upon himself, there was no hope for any of us or for anybody. Apart from the mercy of God, we are lost completely. But because of his mercy, we are alive in Christ, forgiven, accepted, free. My prayer for all of us is not that this would be a big heavy, this is pretty heavy stuff, but my heart is not that this would be a big heavy, but that this would, if anything, cause all of us to stand afresh in awe and in wonder at what God has done for us in his mercy. How incredible the mercy of God. Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5 says, God's mercy is so abundant and his love for us is so great that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, he brought us to life with Christ. It is by God's grace that you have been saved. That, Ephesians 2 is one of the chunks of scripture that I, every time I read it, I just go, wow, God. You didn't have to do this for me or for us. But why did you do it? Because his mercy is so abundant that he couldn't but put a plan in place to reach us, to seek and save all of us who are lost and bring us to life in Christ. How great is the mercy and the love of God. If we think back to that, that parable of the unmerciful servant, let me share some thoughts with you. These are not my own. I found this this week and I just went, wow, this is incredible. This is from Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors. And he speaks about the parable of the unmerciful servant. He said, but what was so incongruous, what was so just out of whack about the unforgiving servant's attitude toward his fellow servants? It is this. You have a man who is a servant living only by the mercy of the king acting as if he were the king and judge. But Jesus wants us to see ourselves in the mirror of this story. When we, who live only by God's mercy, sit in judgment of others, are we not putting ourselves in God's place? If we do, we, we are judging one another, paying one another back, and then suffering retaliation, giving it back again. Relationships fall over. We're all servants acting like kings. What will change our hearts? The 
only thing that will change a servant from acting like a king is getting a view of the amazing love of the king who became a servant. Jesus, the king of kings and lord of lords, equal and one with God himself, lowered himself, taking on the appearance of a human being, dying a brutal criminal's death on a cross. He lowers himself in service to all humanity. And my prayer is that the Spirit of God would so impress upon our hearts the wonder and the beauty and the incomparably great nature of the mercy that we have received from God, that no matter what we may experience in life, what would flow from our hearts is a willingness to extend mercy and forgiveness to others. Now, I'm not saying that that's ever going to be all easy and wonderful. Oh, you're going to get to this point where no matter how someone wrongs you, you're going to be so like Jesus that you're just going to go, ah, oh, I forgive you. Like, it's still going to hurt. And it's not going to be easy. But when the Spirit of God begins to transform us from the inside out, we can be in those situations and go, God, I have been hurt. What that person did, what that person said, it is not right. And forgiving others does not say that you are considering what they did right. We can often feel that way, right? Oh, but if I forgive them, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of excusing their behavior or I'm, you know, shouldn't they be held accountable? Yeah, by who though? By me? By you? By us as, as servants? The work of God's grace in our lives enables us to entrust judgment to God, the only just and merciful judge. Our responsibility in working with God is to say, Lord, the way of Jesus is mercy and forgiveness. In my humanity, I don't want to be merciful or forgiving, but you are with me, and I pray that by your spirit, God, would you help me walk in mercy and forgiveness, especially in those times where it feels like the last thing that I want to do. That's where we need the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. May God grant us the grace, the patience, the mercy, and the forgiveness that can only grow out of a deep grasp of Christ's dying mercy for us. Blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. Before we close our service this morning, we're going, to, we're going to take communion together, which we ordinarily do before we go into worship. But I just felt this morning that this is a, a practical thing. Communion is where we intentionally bring our hearts and our lives just to marvel again at what God has done for us, right? Just before we, we do that, I think it's important to recognize that we live in a culture that is increasingly finding the concepts of forgiveness and mercy very, very challenging. We, we have the prevalence of what's become known as cancel culture, right? The idea with cancel culture is that those who have deemed to have acted or spoken in an unacceptable manner are, are ostracized or boycotted or shunned. It's about justice, supposedly. 
it's about punishment and it's about offenders getting what they deserve, quote unquote. That's really interesting. And I think as followers of Jesus, we've got to be aware that if we just go with that cultural current, that's actually not consistent with the way that Jesus calls us to live. But where is the space for mercy or forgiveness if cancel culture is the be-all and end-all of your response to every and any situation where someone disagrees with you or someone does wrong? Now, I'm not suggesting at all that we turn a blind eye to all forms of wrongdoing, but I am most certainly suggesting today that going with the flow of cancel culture is not consistent with the way that Jesus calls us to live. Cancel culture emphasizes justice, which is important, but justice is not the be-all and end-all. Consistently in Scripture, we see what can seem to be these conflicting ideas of justice and mercy held together in the perfect tension of who God is in his very nature. We struggle with the tension. We feel like we've got to choose between mercy or justice. If I'm in the mercy camp, I feel like I'm compromising justice. And if I'm insisting on punishment, I'm like, ah, but where is the space for mercy? It's in God that it all is held together in a perfect balance. And when, he, when we remember that he is with us, our cry again can be, Lord, what does it look like for me to respond to this situation in a way that just doesn't go full on in the justice camp? How do I incorporate something of your mercy into my response, into how we respond just a couple of scriptures I want to show you, and then we're going to do communion. In Zechariah 7, 9 in the Old Testament, this is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, yeah, administer true justice, but that's not the end of the verse. Administer true justice. Show mercy alongside that and compassion to one another. Justice in isolation is unbalanced. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Act justly. That's not the end of it. And to love mercy. And to walk humbly with our God. In God, the balance is found. Psalm 36, last one, verses 5 and 6. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. That's great, but look what it's followed up with. Your righteousness is like a mountain, your justice like the great deep. It's the psalmist recognizing that in God, these concepts, justice and righteousness, love and mercy and compassion, they're not in opposition. They come together in a beautiful balance. Jesus Christ himself perfectly personifies love and justice righteousness and mercy as we get to know him more may our prayer be Jesus would you make us more like you would you somehow enable us to be a people who can extend mercy especially when we don't feel like it knowing that we have received a mercy that is so great that nothing else can actually even come close to comparing to it